This is the NC Everything Podcast, a show where we talk about everything that has anything to do with North Carolina. Hey guys, and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Curtis, and this is episode 53 on the Durham Bulls. Now, you know, before I get into that, I have to talk a few minutes, but I have an important change that I'm going to talk to you about in just a minute. First, I want to welcome back anybody who's returning to the show and welcome any newcomers. And if you are new to the show, this is the part where I invite you to go to the website at www.thenceverythingpodcast.com. And there you can listen to all my past episodes and you can check out the show notes for each episode. Now, for all of you who have seen my show notes, you know, they're, they're pretty simple. I have my sources and I have links to any pictures related to that episode. And that's about it for the show notes. You can also follow the show on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now at the end of the episode, I'll, I'll tell you what those, uh, names are for each of those social medias, but I can assure you that if you search in those, those, uh, domains for the NC everything podcast, I will come up. Now let's talk about the, the new change for the show. I, I, I've been wanting to kind of reformat how I start the show and I, I wanted to add some, some flavor to the show or spice or I don't know, whatever uh, metaphor there is for that. Now I have uh, just about decided that uh, for 2022 uh, over the, the Christmas break, I guess I do want to look for a new theme song and, you know, change it up every year. I might mess with the, the cover art or the logo a little bit, but starting right now, uh, at the beginning of the show, I want to cover, uh, North Carolina festivals, parties, events, stuff like that. Now, the way I plan for this to work, my show comes out every Saturday. So my plan is to, to run down any, uh, festivals or events that are going on, uh, between the Saturdays of my show. For example, this episode should air on September 18th. The next episode will come out September 25th. And so here in just a minute, I'm going to tell you about all the events that happened between September 18th and 25th. Well, not all the events. Um, I'm sure there's going to be a bunch that I miss. I'm, I do a quick Google search. I look around for a little while. It's going to be part of my research, but we like to throw down here in North Carolina and there's always something going on everywhere. And so there's no way that I could probably cover everything going on that week in North Carolina. It, it, I'm sure it's a lot. I could probably do uh, 10 episodes just on North Carolina festivals throughout the year. But I will run down some of the ones I find. Now, if there's a festival going on near you and I didn't mention it, I promise you I don't mean to, to cut you out. I would definitely invite you to go to the website and hit the contact button and write in and let me know about the festival that I missed because I want to kind of put together a calendar, um, eventually collect all these. And hopefully I can one day tell you about all the events all around North Carolina. Now, the last thing I'm going to say on this is because I, I will most likely have a longer intro somewhere. When you go to listen to the, the episode, I'm going to have a, a description on there and it'll tell you when the actual content starts. That way, if you want to skip all this stuff at the beginning, you can just forward straight to, to when I say, let's get into the content or whatever I say. And so you can look for that change as well. And with that, let's talk about the, the North Carolina festivals. 
So like I said, today should be the 18th if my scheduling worked out right. And so these festivals will be between September 18th and September 25th. In no specific order, we have the Bug Fest. Now that takes place at the Museum of Natural Sciences in Raleigh, North Carolina. And that's from September 13th till September 18th. So today is the last day for that event. Next, we got Merle Fest. Now that's up in Wilkesboro. Merle Fest is a really big event in North Carolina. That's uh, from September 16th to 19th. So you have two more days on that. Now, Merle Fest, uh, if you remember from my Bluegrass episode, is named after Merle Watson, the son of Doc Watson. Next, we have La Fiesta del Pueblo, and that's on September 19th. So that'll be tomorrow. That's in Raleigh, and that's a, a celebration of... Uh, Latino culture in North Carolina. It says there'll be music, food, arts and crafts and vendors. Oh, and by the way, I'm sure Merle Fest has plenty of music and plenty of food. And uh, the Bug Fest in Raleigh, it's more of learning about insects in North Carolina. Um, I'm not sure how much music and food they have unless you're eating bugs, but that wouldn't be conducive to, to learning about bugs, I don't think. I can tell you that most of the events that I'll talk about uh, anytime there's going to be food. We love to eat in North Carolina and it's, it's a lot of good food. Uh, if your your goal is weight loss or eating right, I wouldn't go to any of these festivals unless somewhere in North Carolina, we have a vegetarian or vegan festival, because I can tell you from experience that I will go to some of these festivals and I will say that I'm not going to eat any of that food. And it never happens that way. That, that stuff just kind of calls your name. If you know what I mean? All right, another big one in North Carolina is Mayberry Days. Now, this, of course, is in Mount Airy, and this is from the 21st to the 26th. Now, this is all about the Andy Griffith Show. It's a Andy Griffith Show festival, really, but it's called Mayberry Days, and it's kind of a, a throwback to the simpler times that you would see in the Andy Griffith Show. They, they have a parade, and there's a pork chop eating contest. There's checkers tournament, apple peeling contest, and there's a, a big trivia thing about the Andy Griffith Show, and I'm sure there's plenty of music and plenty of food. The ghost train at Tweetsie Railroad starts on September 24th and 25th, and after that, it goes every Friday and Saturday in October. Now, I'm sure this includes some kind of spooky ghost train ride on the railroad, but I also read that they have a lot of um, other stuff going on you know, before you get on the train right there at the, the Tweetsie Railroad area. Then we have the Mountain Heritage Day, and that's in Cullowee on September 25th. That's actually on the Western North Carolina campus, and it's what they describe as an old-fashioned mountain fair. On September 25th, they have the Yatkin Valley Pumpkin Fest, and I read that they have uh, a great pumpkin way off. They have carnival rides and pumpkin-themed foods. By the way, I'm totally against pumpkin pie and pumpkin lattes and I, I, pumpkin spice. Um, I can't stand it. My favorite color is orange. I love this time of year because the orange comes out, but I'm not one of those pumpkin guys. And that's especially so with pumpkin pie. I'm a big believer that you should not try to make a dessert out of a gourd. As a side note, the same goes with carrot cake. You shouldn't try to make desserts out of vegetables either. All right, now I'm going to finish this with the county fairs going on. Today is the last day of the Stokes County Fair. The Davidson County Ag Fair is from the 20th to the 25th. The Pitt County Fair is the 21st to the 26th. The Wilson County Fair is 21st to the 26th. The Chatham, Chatham County Ag Fair is the 23rd to the 26th. And the Rowan County Ag and, and Industrial Fair starts on the 24th and it goes until October 2nd. 
And that is all the events I have in this episode for, for North Carolina. So uh, let me know what you think about the new addition to the show. Um, you can let me know if I should put it at the end. I might end up doing that anyway. But now let's get into the content. So it was my plan to cover the Durham Bulls, and I did. But unfortunately, there wasn't a, a whole lot of information on the Durham Bulls, not as much as I was hoping. And uh, I don't know if that's because they're a minor league team. Now I did gather some content. But the main core of what I could find was just a historical timeline. I don't want that to get too dry. It, it might, but uh, we're going to go through it. But let's start off with the, the origin story of baseball. Now, the story you will hear the most in, in probably the South, definitely North Carolina, is not really true. It's more legend. And that's the story that Abner Doubleday invented baseball in Cooperstown, New Jersey during the summer of 1839. Now, Doubleday is actually more famous because he went on to serve as a major general for the Union during the Civil War. And yes, I found a way to bring the Civil War into a baseball episode. But like I said, this isn't true. It's just a, a story that was passed around until it uh, unofficially became truth. Now, in Doubleday's defense, he didn't claim to have anything to do with, with baseball or the invention thereof. I don't want you guys thinking he was out there ringing his own bell or, or anything like that. But you might be wondering how this this uh, legend got attached to this random guy from the Civil War. Well, 16 years after uh, Doubleday died, in 1907 that is, the sporting goods company A.J. Spalding put together a commission to try to find uh, the origin story of baseball. Now what they were really trying to do at its core was try to figure out if baseball was invented in the U.S. or the U.K. Well, this commission, they tracked down a guy named Abner Graves. Now, Ab Abner Graves claimed to have went to school with Abner Doubleday, and he you know, claimed there that he invented baseball, and, and the story kind of stuck. But the truth is, they can date baseball back at least to the 1700s. And it appears that it came from two English games, one called Rounders, which is a, a children's game that, that came to the U.S. through New England. And the other game is Cricket. Now, I, I've not seen Rounders, but I have watched a little Cricket, and Cricket looks a whole lot like baseball. Now, by the time the American Revolution started, there were versions of this ball and stick game being played all around the colonies. Then, in 1845, a group of guys in New York, they got together and formed the New York Knickerbocker Baseball Club. Now, it was actually in this group that the, the rules to baseball that we a lot of them we use today was formed by a guy named Alexander Joy Cartwright. He's the one that came up with the, the three-strike rule, the foul lines, and the diamond-shaped infield. Well, the Knickerbockers played their first game in 1846 against some cricket players, and baseball took off from there. Now, the Durham Bulls here in North Carolina is a minor league team. And I know that not, not all my fans are baseball fans. And I, I'm not a super baseball fan. I used to be more into it when I was a kid. And I, I had time to really um, immerse myself in baseball. But I do want to explain some stuff before we get into the Durham Bulls. So you're not lost. Now, the main difference between major league and minor league is money. Now, major league players make a shitload of it. And minor league players barely make a living wage. Now, I know that's a matter of opinion, and there's exceptions to every rule, but that's generally the way it is. Now, it doesn't matter if you're major league or minor league. If you're getting played to pay baseball, you're a pro. So I just want to throw that out there. These these aren't amateurs. They're, they're all pros. 
Now, minor league breaks down into the following levels. There's AAA, and that's the highest minor league level, and this is where the players are most likely to get called up to the major leagues, or the show, as you may hear on TV. Then there's AA, Class A Advanced, also known as High A, your regular Class A, which is also known as Low A, and then Class A Short Season, or just Short Season. Behind this, there's two rookie ball teams, and they usually, usually play between 70 and 80 games in a season. And this is also where newly drafted players usually, usually start their pro careers. Now, a lot of minor league teams also have an affiliate major league team. Now, what this means is when there's an affiliate major league team, that major league team can pick up players from their corresponding minor league team. Or that major league team can send their players down to the, the minor league team for a whole lot of reasons like recovering from injury or conditioning or or what have you, but uh, they work with each other very closely. And some of this will come up again. That's why I brought it up. Now, let me brush on baseball in North Carolina for a little bit. Baseball in North Carolina came about the late 1800s. Now, before then, they, they mostly played that game rounders that I was telling you about. But they said baseball kind of became known in North Carolina during the Civil War because Union troops would, would play it down here. I read that uh, in Salisbury, there was a, a prisoner of war camp and the Union troops that were in prison there were playing baseball and, and that's how they, they kind of became aware of the game anyway. And like I said, it wasn't long before this game was being played everywhere. Now my theory on that is that it's a simple game to get started. You literally just need some sort of open field, some kind of stick or club to hit with, and then of course some kind of ball to hit. So you could literally uh, put together a, a round of baseball anywhere, anytime. Now, North Carolina doesn't have a major league baseball team, but we do have plenty of minor league teams. Um, I think over 70 cities have a minor league team, and there's over 300 major league baseball players from North Carolina. Now, obviously, I'm not here to talk about the major leagues, but I do want to tell you about one major league player just because I think it's really cool. This guy's name is Tom Zachary. Now, he was born in Graham, he was a left-handed pitcher, and he played in the major leagues from 1918 to 1936. He went to Guilford College, and he never played in the minor leagues. Now, one thing about baseball is most people play in the minor leagues. It's really rare to be able to go to the majors without hitting the minors. Well, ultimately, Tom Zachary played for the Washington Senators in 1924. He played for the New York Yankees in 1928. And he played at some point, I didn't put the date in there, I don't know why, but he played for the Philadelphia Athletics. Well, he was inducted into the North Carolina Sports Hall of Fame in 1966. And he's probably best remembered for delivering a low inside fastball that Babe Ruth hit, and it landed somewhere in the seats out there behind right field. This was Babe Ruth's famous 60th home run in 1927. And the reason I know all this is because I'm kin to Tom Zachary by marriage. The grandfather of my wife is Tom Zachary's nephew. Now, one more thing I want to say before we uh, get into the Durham Bulls is about Babe Ruth. He actually hit his first home run in North Carolina, and he got the nickname Babe Ruth in North Carolina. It was down in Fayetteville in 1914 when George Herman Ruth Jr. hit his first home run as a professional baseball player. Now, at age 19, George Herman Ruth began playing for the Baltimore Orioles, now, he was from, from Baltimore. Well, Jack Dunn, who is the manager of the Orioles, he recognized that, that uh, George Herman had a, a lot of talent. And he was going to 
it's going to be good. So he signed him on to his first professional contract. Now, a few weeks later, this is when the team headed down to Fayetteville and they were on their way to Florida for spring training. And remember, in Fayetteville is where he hit his first home run. Well, while they were in Fayetteville, the rest of the teammates learned that Jack Dunn had legally adopted George Herman to keep him with the Orioles. And then, if you were to watch George Herman, he liked to take the elevator rides and he'd push all the buttons, you know, kind of immature. So this is when they started calling George Herman Dunn's baby, or Jack Dunn's baby. And eventually, this was shortened to just babe. All right, now, looking at my clock, I've went on for 16 and a half minutes. And uh, I know you came here to listen to the, the Durham Bulls episode. Um, I, I do love baseball. I hope that that wasn't too uh, too boring, but... Let's go ahead and get into the Durham Bulls. Now, like I said, there's a a bunch of minor league teams in North Carolina. The reason I decided to cover Durham Bulls is because they're my minor league team. Um, They're in Durham County, obviously, and and I'm in Orange County, and they're right next door. I've been to several Durham Bulls games. I've always had a good time out there, so I have a, a special place in my heart for the Durham Bulls, and so that's why I decided to cover them. I'm not trying to exclude any other minor league team in North Carolina. I just want to put that out there. Now the Durham Bulls were named after Bull Durham Tobacco. So after the Civil War, and you can go back and listen to my tobacco episode, which is actually episode 51, and I I went over this story in that episode, but after the Civil War, John Green, he wanted to make a, a new tobacco brand. Now he was inspired by a mustard company in Durham, England. Now this mustard company in Durham, England, they used the image of a head of a, a bull from Durham, England on their, their label. And so John Green copied the idea, but he used the, the entire bull, not just the head on his image. So that's where Bull Durham Tobacco came from, and that's where the Durham Bulls got their, their team name from. But they didn't start out as the Durham Bulls. So it all starts in 1902. On March 18th, the North Carolina League is formed at a meeting in Raleigh. Well, inside the North Carolina League, they formed the Durham Club, and a Mr. W.G. Bramham became the owner of the team. Well, the team needed a name, and because of the tobacco district in Durham, they became the Durham Tobacconist. Now, at that time, the schedule was that they were going to begin playing on May 5th, and they would play for four months. Well, on April 24th, 1902, the Durham Tobacconist went to the field for the first time at George Lyon Ballpark. Now, this ballpark is in Durham, and it was named after George Leonidas Lyon. He was a grandson of Washington Duke, and Washington Duke was a, a founder of the, the biggest uh, tobacco company in North Carolina, American Tobacco. It was his son who uh, Duke University was named after. Well, Durham won their first game at George Lyon Park, 8-5. to five. The next month, in May of 1902, the Durham Tobacconist played their first official regular season game in Charlotte. Unfortunately, Charlotte beat them 12-2. Now that same month, they played their first home game against New Bern. Now on July 12, 1902, the Bulls were supposed to go down to New Bern to play, but the owner, W.G. Bramham, I keep struggling with that, the, the owner Bramham refused to send the team to New Bern. He said as far as he was concerned, the season was over. And that was the end of professional baseball in Durham until 1912. This is when Durham joined the newly formed North Carolina State League. Now, when they joined up, they didn't join up as the Durham Tobacconist. They joined up as the Durham Bulls. 
Now, the first game they played as the Bulls was on Haynes Field on Trinity College campus. Now, Trinity College is now Duke East Campus. But it was here that the Durham Bulls beat the Raleigh Capitals 7-4. Now, on May 30th, 1917, the North Carolina State League went under. And this was because of World War I. Two years go by, and then in 1919, the Piedmont League is formed. Now, the Piedmont League had teams placed throughout Virginia and North Carolina. But it was seven years before the Bulls played their first game at the newly named El Toro Park. Now, El Toro, if you don't know, is the bull in Spanish. I have no idea why they decided to name the the park the bull in Spanish. But anyway, this brand new ballpark, El El Toro Park, was dedicated on July 26th, 1926. Now, this dedication was presided over by Governor Angus McLean and the Commissioner of Baseball, Judge Landis. And the most notable thing about this was Judge Judge Landis, uh, they had a real bull there for the mascot, and Judge, Judge Landis gets on the bull, and he rides this bull around the field. Now, you remember when I talked about affiliates and how you know um, the minor league teams will have a affiliate major league? Um, the first one happens in 1932, but uh, I'm going to point those out as we go along because they went through a lot of affiliates over the years. But in 1932, the Bulls got their first affiliation, and this was with the Philadelphia Phillies. In 1933, the Bulls became affiliated with the New York Yankees. Now, it was also in this year, 1933, that John Sprunt Hill and his wife donated $20,000 to the city of Durham. Now, with this money, Durham buys El Toro Park and renames it Durham Athletic Park. Now, about this time, the Great Depression hits, and so there's no baseball in Durham in 1934 and 1935. Now, in 1936, uh, the Bulls begin an affiliation with the Cincinnati Reds. Sadly, in 1939, the Durham Athletic Park is completely destroyed in a fire. Well, officials, they scrambled around, and in two weeks, they had a functional ballpark there. So I I guess they just kind of slapped together some stuff, but they were able to play ball there. And so, at this newly built ballpark, the Bulls beat the Charlotte Hornets 11-4. Now, like I said, they probably just slapped together a stadium, but during the offseason in 1940, they completely rebuilt the Durham Athletic Park. And the first game at the new stadium is on April 17, 1940, and this is against Winston's, the Winston-Salem Twins. 1941 rolls around, and the Bulls get affiliated with the Brooklyn Dodgers. The last Piedmont League game took place at the Durham Athletic Park on September 5th, 1943. After that, the Piedmont League becomes an all-Virginia team. So all the teams in the Piedmont League are from Virginia, and there's no baseball in Durham. Until the following year when they build the Carolina League. And after this, the Bulls play their first game with the Carolina League on April 27th, and they beat the Burlington Bees 5-0. 1948, the Bulls begin an affiliation with the Detroit Tigers. Now, in 1941, Durham loses a game to the Danville Leaves. But this game is kind of important because on this game took place on August 10th, uh, 1951. And this was the debut of Percy Miller Jr. Now, he played for the Danville Leaves, but he was the first black player in the Carolina League. On April 18th, 1957... Bubba Morton and Ted Richardson became the first African-Americans to play for the Durham Bulls. 1962, the Bulls affiliate with the Houston Astros. Then in 1967, they affiliate with the New York Mets. 
1968 was a, a weird year because the Bulls merged with Raleigh, and then they formed the Raleigh-Durham Mets. And during this time, the team plays half its games at the Durham Athletic Park and half its games at Raleigh's Devereux Meadow. Well, in 1969, the Bulls get affiliated with the Philadelphia Phillies again, and this runs until 1972. Now, in 1972, that weird uh, Raleigh-Durham team where they, they merged the two, it finally goes under. Unfortunately, because of this, there wouldn't be any baseball in the Raleigh-Durham area again until 1980. Now, I couldn't find out what really made uh, baseball come back to Durham, but in 1980, the Bulls began their longest affiliation, and this is with the Atlanta Braves. Now, this lasts until 1996, and I remember when I was a kid, we'd go to the games, and my dad would point out you know, the, the players for the Atlanta Braves who were, for at that time, playing with the Durham Bulls. But anyway, the Durham Bulls played their first game since 1971 on April 15th, 1980. Now, in June of 1980, June 22nd to be exact, the CBS affiliate in Durham, they uh, they air the, the that Bulls game on TV, and it's the first Bulls game to ever be broadcast on television. Now, 1987 was a really special year for not just the Bulls, but for the whole world if you're a Kevin Costner fan. Because this is when the movie Bull Durham was filmed, mostly in Durham, and mostly at the Durham Athletic Park. Now this movie stars Kevin Costner, like I said, Susan Sarandon, and Tim Robbins. And I can tell you, it's it's a really good movie. Um, it's a baseball movie, so if you're not really into sports, um, it might not do a whole lot for you. But if you're a, a North Carolinian, or you're interested in the Durham Bulls, that's a really good movie to watch. And basically, for the plot, Tim Robbins, is, Tim Robbins is a pitcher, but he's really young and he can't really, uh, he can pitch really well, but he's kind of out of control. Kevin Costner plays Crash Davis. Now, Crash Davis was actually a real Durham Bulls player, but Kevin Costner plays Crash Davis and he's sent up to, or sent down to try to, to hone in Tim Robinson's skill, calm him down, you know, uh, help train him. And then Susan Sarandon, she's kind of a team groupie. But that's all I'm going to really say about her character in the movie. But um, it's it's really fun. It's a lot of baseball chatter and a lot of games. And it's, it's a good movie. But anyway, the film comes out in 1988. And this gets a whole lot of national attention to the Durham Bulls, as you might guess. I mean, Kevin Costner was out there. And so people you know, really start paying attention to minor league and especially the Durham Bulls. So it, it definitely helps them out. Now, one of the last things I'll say about the movie is that for the movie, they made this prop, this movie prop. And it was a bull that sat on the back of the baseball field. And it was a, a, you know, like a model bull or like a sign. And this bull, when you hit a home run or you, you hit the bull, uh, smoke would come out of his nose and it would throw his head up and his tail up. And if you're a, a fan of the bulls, you've seen this, but this was just a movie prop. It wasn't actually a fixture at the Durham Athletic Park. But after the movie, they decided to leave it, and uh, it carries on today. I've actually seen it at the, the new stadium that they have, or the newest stadium that they have, the Durham Bulls Athletic Park. Now, I will have uh, some links to pictures of this bull and from the movie Bull Durham in the, the show notes, so don't forget to check that out. Now, I don't know if movie money had anything to do with this, but in 1988, Miles Wolf meets with the Durham officials and he wanted to talk to him about building a new 10,000 to 12,000 seat stadium in Durham. 
Well, eventually, he gets what he wants, but I'll, I'll, I'll get to that when it comes up. Now, August 30th, 1990. I don't know, again, if this has anything to do with the movie Bull Durham, but this night at the Durham Athletic Park, attendance was 300,499. And this set a record for the Bulls because this made uh, the Durham Bulls the first Class A team ever to pass the 300,000 mark. Now, if you're a fan of the Bulls or you've seen anything about the Bulls on TV, then most likely you've seen Wooly Bull. Now, he's the team mascot. Now, he was unveiled on July 17th, 1992. There was a, a contest for his name, and Jim Vickery of Durham submits the winning name. Now, we now know that that name was Wool E. Bull. What a lot of people don't know is the E in Wooly Bull stands for education. Now, in September of 1993, they started taking bids for construction of the new Durham Bulls Athletic Park. So now we know that ball is rolling. Well, on September 5th, 1994, the last game at Durham Athletic Park was played. And this was game one of the Carolina League's Southern Division playoffs, and Winston-Salem won 6-2. And now here we are, April 6th, 1995. The gates are open at the Durham Bulls Athletic Park for the first time. Now, I tell you, I, I've been to a lot of little baseball fields. I've never been to a major league game, although I've always wanted to. But the Durham Bulls Athletic Park is a it's a really, really cool place. And maybe there's, my point is, maybe there's stadiums that are 10 times better. But uh, again, this is my, 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 my minor league team, I guess. Um, this is my home team. So, uh, like I said, they hold a special place in my heart. But, but I really love going up to the Durham Bulls Athletic Park. And that's better known as the DBAP, just so you know. Anyway, uh, June 20th, 1998, the Bulls played their very first game outside of the United States. This was in Ottawa, Canada, and the Bulls lost 8-2. Now, just so you know, in May 28th of 1999, the Durham Bulls won their first game out of the country. And again, that was with Ottawa, and they won 6-1. Now, in 2008, that was the, the 20th anniversary of the movie Bull Durham, Kevin Costner and his band, called the Modern West, they actually came to the DBAP to perform that night, and that would have been really cool to see. Now, I say that, but keep in mind, uh, I'm a ridiculous Kevin Costner fan. A lot of people aren't, um, and I might stand alone in that, and that's okay, but um, I love Kevin Costner in just about anything. I, I have no idea. I think I relate to his characters somehow or another. Now, I can keep on going through wins and losses and stuff like that, but the truth of the matter is the Durham Bulls have been pretty much kicking it ever since. Um, they they haven't had to shut down except for 2020 for the COVID. But for the most part, baseball in North Carolina, and especially the Durham Bulls, is going strong. And uh, that pretty much brings me to the end of the Durham Bulls. Uh, I wish I could have found uh, a whole lot more on them with some cool stories. I do, uh, I do hope you enjoyed the episode. I, I enjoyed researching it. I enjoy re researching all this stuff. Um, but I do hope you enjoy hearing about it. But if you did like the show and you want to hear some more, don't forget to go to the website at www.thencevertherythingpodcast.com and uh, all my episodes are on there. And you can also contact me and see the show notes. And if you like the show, I, I do wish you'd contact me and let me know what you thought. Uh, let me, oh, that was weird. Let me know what you thought. Um, I definitely like hearing from my listeners and if you've got any ideas for, uh, 
for episodes, you can definitely suggest them. I invite everybody su- to suggest episodes. I'm I'm all the time looking for uh, the next episode, I guess you could say. And if you want to help the show, send me money. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not asking for any money. I don't need any money. If you want to help the show, subscribe to it. And what that does is, for far as helping, is it lets me know that I have a, a growing audience. Um, I want to keep doing this show. I don't have any intention on quitting anytime soon. But uh, when you subscribe, I can... I can see like how many listens I have per episode, but when you subscribe, I can really see how many people are actually listening to the show. So, um, any subscription really helps and don't forget to follow me on social media. I'm on uh, Facebook at the NC everything podcast, Instagram at the underscore NC underscore everything underscore podcast. And I'm on Twitter at everything NC. Now, Facebook is probably the the best place to follow if you wanted to pick one. Um, That's where I'm going to probably post the most. Um, Didn't mean for that to rhyme, but um, anyway, anyway, um, new shows come out every Saturday. I'm going to try to post uh, previews and and teasers for those shows. And I can't really think of uh, anything else to say, except I'll talk to you next time. The music in this episode comes from archesaudio.com and freepd.com. <laughs>